taking you behind the scenes of the National Institute for Data Science and Artificial Intelligence. With unprecedented access to the scientists pushing boundaries and shaping our future, this show will take you to the cutting edge and beyond. And whether you're an expert yourself or just science curious, this is the show for you. Welcome to the Turing Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Turing Podcast, where today we'll be talking about Project Bluebird, which was actually first featured on the very first episode of the podcast back in 2020. I'm your host, Ed Calstreet, and I'm here with Dr. Nick Pepper, Dr. George Diaf, and Dr. Mark Thomas, who respectively work across the Alan Turing Institute, the University of Exeter, and NATS, who are the UK's leading provider of air traffic control services. So Nick, George and Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. Um, so before we go into talking about Project Bluebird, I'd, I'd like to know more about all of you. So who are you and how did you come to be doing what you're doing today? Uh, let's start with George. Hi. Well, yeah, I'm George Diaz. Uh, I'm currently a research fellow in computer science at the University of Exeter. And how I got here was I did a PhD at Exeter in computer vision. Uh, and then decided that wasn't for me and moved over to the world of uh, optimization, specifically expensive optimization. And some of the hardest and most complicated optimization problems are the calibration of digital twins. And so my last few postdocs have been about trying to configure, the, learn the parameters of digital twins uh, based on real world data. So the performance of the twin accurately reflects the data. So I've been doing that for my last few postdocs. And sort of outside of the postdoc, my general research area is fairly closely aligned where I do a lot of work in uh, Bayesian optimization, which is a method of surrogate modeling uh, for doing uh, optimization. Fantastic. Um, yeah, Nick, what about you? What's your background and how did you come to be doing what you're doing? Uh, sure. So my background is in probabilistic methods and uncertainty quantification, uh, mainly for applications in aerospace. I did my PhD at the Department of Aeronautics in Imperial College. Uh, after that, I did an internship for a year at the Nestle Langley Research Centre, and then off the back of that, joined Project Bluebird at Turing. Fantastic. And and Mark, how did you come to be working at Nats? So I guess my journey is a fairly long one. Uh, I started off doing a medical degree and working as a doctor, ah, and then okay. transferred... <laughs> <laughs> transferred over. I did a PhD in theoretical physics. Right. I worked as a postdoc in particle physics for so a while. You don't like to let yourself off easy then? I try and <laughs> jump around, yeah. <laughs> um, I then joined a startup looking at real-time uh, rail monitoring, so a predictive maintenance for the rail industry. Then joined NATS about five years ago. I joined the sort of precursor project to the Bluebird project that we're working mm. on now. Mm. I helped a little bit with the bid and I've been the industry digital twin lead on Project Bluebird since it started. Fantastic. Um, yeah, so maybe just for the the audience listening and for our benefit, maybe the first thing before we jump into Project Bluebird um, is to think about, well, two things. Maybe first, what is Nats and like how did this sort of collaboration come about? But then also, I guess, digital twins. We've done a few episodes on digital twins in the podcast before, but remind the audience what's a digital twin and and what's, yeah, why are Nats interested in such a thing? Okay, so uh, what is Nats? Nats is the UK air traffic controller. If an aircraft takes off and flies over the skies in the UK, they 
in order to keep them safe, make sure that they don't crash, they have to follow what they're told to do by the aircraft controllers. Natch is the company. It, it formerly formerly stood for National Air Traffic Services. Now it's just Nats, um, which employ and train them, uh, provide services. Mm-hmm. So Nats has been uh, looking at... Uh, I work in the R&D department, research and development department. We've looked at um, new tools new developments that we can do in order to improve safety, improve efficiency, mm. improve capacity. That's been a, you know, an ongoing thing over the last 20 plus years. Um, what we found was that we were getting to the limit of, uh, we've been working really on incremental steps, you know, add what's the next step, what's the little steps, little steps, which is a sensible thing to do in a safety critical industry. You know, you you can't, it's hard to make big changes in the safety critical industries. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure you're safe all the time. So we've always worked on little steps, little steps, little extra tooling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's worked quite well, but you kind of get a little bit stuck because you need to see the whole big picture before you can do these little steps. So the idea with Project Bluebird was to kind of ignore the the need to get it into operations in the next five years and right. just say, what's the art of the possible in automation, in air traffic control? So we we said, let's see if we can automate as much as we can of the job of the air traffic controller. Mm-hmm. Let's see how far we can get. That opens up a lot of avenues because to do that, we need to get the data ready. So a lot of the work that we've done has been taking operational logging data that's really meant for operational purposes, transforming that into a way that's useful to do research on it. I see, yeah. Uh, Build the digital twin. So the digital twin, digital twin is a bit of a buzzword that's used quite a lot these days. Right. Um, So lots of people have slightly different definitions, but really it's it's a high fidelity simulator Simulators have been around for a long time, but now what we've got different is that we have a lot of data coming in. So instead of simulating a specific, you know, simulating a rocket, you can simulate the rocket and inform it from data being collected from the rocket. Mm -hmm. So you can have a lot more realistic simulations and you can simulate it in different situations. So in the terms of air traffic control, we can build a simulator of the skies over the UK, but instead of just having a generic simulator, you can tune it you know, given aircraft performance, given certain days, you know, you could run the simulator as as what happened on Christmas Day, you know, the weather on Christmas Day. Right, right. The storms that happened just this weekend where a lot of airports and things closed, you know, we'll be looking at simulating that in a few weeks' time so that we can look at, I'm jumping ahead to the agents, but we can look at performances and things in certain situations. Nice. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting what you said at the start there, which is that, of course, air traffic control being a very sort of safety critical industry, we don't want planes falling out of the sky or hitting each other or anything like that. It's probably understandable that the methods and processes in place currently are sort of, you know, rightly sort of resistant to any fast change. And that what you've done here is you're doing sort of a research project that might, you know, someday, hopefully, and I, I suppose you will tell me at some point um, where you've got to on this, but inform policy and, you know, bring some of these methods that have come from the research projects into the real world. But you started off with a with the research projects. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I guess we, we haven't explained, uh, if, if you mind me explaining Project Bluebird. Go, so, let's go for it, yeah. <laughs> and then I can step back and answer that question. Yeah, go for it, yeah. So Project Bluebird... Um, 
the the sort of overarching goal of Project Bluebird is to try and build a AI agent, so sort of a digital air traffic controller mm-hmm. to control a sector of airspace in real world shadow mode trials. So really it is build an AI agent that can do essentially be a digital air traffic controller. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, we've got the main threads of that is the digital twin, which we need to train it to test it, mm-hmm. the agents themselves. And then we've got a thread on um, safe safe, trustworthy, explainable AI, sort of a more step back and ask those questions. We've got kind of a fourth unofficial thread, which is data, because that, you know, turned out to be quite a big part of the work in the first year is getting all the data ready to feed into the digital twin. I see, yeah, yeah. So... To make it as realistic as possible. To make it as realistic as possible, yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually using the data, they come as sort of semi-structured log files and things with a lot of extra bits that have been added in by by the system. So filtering those out, getting them to ways that you can be used right. was a lot of work. Um, I think any good research project comes across data issues at some point. So yeah, yeah, exactly. it doesn't surprise me, that, especially if it's a very much a real world problem that we're trying to solve here. Um, so yes, yeah, so to summarize, we've got then, we've got the 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 simulator, this digital twin of of the airspace trying to be as realistic as possible. And then of course, yeah, if we want the AI to be able to ever do the job of the air traffic controller, that's the prerequisite to, you know, giving it a go at this simulator. Yeah. So, so then I guess I would then step back to the original question. <laughs> We're looking at building a AI AI agent that can do the job of an air traffic controller. Getting that, you know, to replace air traffic controllers is going to be decades away mm. because the the regulation doesn't exist you know how do we validate it how do we make sure it's safe in all situations uh you kind of de-skill air traffic controllers who need to take over if something goes wrong so there's a lot of issues there so the actual main agent is not likely to be let out into the wild for a long time but what we can do is use the use that as sort of a universal engine within tooling. So the sort of thing that we can do in the sort of five, 10 year timeframe are advisory tools, tools that appear mm-hmm. on the screen, that- AI advi- assistance. AI assistance, the, uh, essentially. Yeah. Those are the things that we can actually validate. We know we've, we've got more of the processes in pace to validate those. We already have certain types of tools, which is a bit of a stretch to call them AI, but we do have advisory tools and things. Mm. We can extend those. And if you've got something that can do all the whole job, you can have a suite of tools that comes out of that that are interconnected rather than individual tools. Very interesting. Yeah. So so this is obviously the challenge that Nat's had. So where did the Turing and Exeter come in and and how is this sort of how did this project come about in the first place? Or or maybe the better question is, what are your your two involvements? <laughs> Um, George. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, well, the project came about because no one uh, group of people, I think, is really qualified mm-hmm. to tackle this problem. Yeah. and Very multifaceted. Yeah, exactly. And the good thing about the Turing is it brings together different groups of academics that have different skill sets in order to tackle big problems, which is particularly useful for companies like Nats who want to work with a broad range of skilled mm-hmm. academics without trying to just go to one university. So the combination of the Turing and Exeter, Phoebe from Cambridge and Nats has uh, come together to be this giant team. I think there's about 45, 46 of us now across everything working on this project. So it's a huge number. Yeah, and we have quite a lot of expertise at Exeter in 
uh, digital twins and sort of the, the calibration of them in mm, terms of making right. them good. Makes sense, yeah. And indeed the development of uh, some of the methodologies that are used within uh, some of the agents that we're developing. Mm. So depending, uh, so Turing's working on different agents to extra, but they're all sort of complementary. I see. So maybe we can talk about that. So is there some element of competition involved in like who can develop the best agents or? Um, well, uh, <laughs> George is winning. So yeah. I, like I, I, was, I was trying to be humble, but, but yeah, Marcus really beat me to it. So yeah. at the moment I am developing the agent that is uh, performing the best, mm. but I think that's due to the approach that I'm following. So, so, so just yeah, just to walk back for a second. So, when we say the agent that's performing best, so it's it's the AI that's been built by you to do this task of interacting and doing well at the uh, air traffic control simulation. Um, is this somehow sort of gamified? Is there a way of puts you know getting points that you can evaluate who's done best? Yeah. So, um, if I step back slightly and take over from Mark and explain the role of an air traffic controller. Go ahead. Uh, I think that will help in talking about the automation aspects Absolutely. of it. So the air traffic controller's job, as Mark rightly says, is to safely get an, air, an aircraft through uh, their sector. And air traffic controllers typically work in pairs. So there is one air traffic controller who issues the commands to the pilot to navigate them through the sky. And then there's a second one who has more of a planning role. And their role is to basically design the bounce decide the boundary conditions of the sector. So this is precisely what location the aircraft is going to exit and at what flight level it's going to exit at to try and deconflict aircraft crossing between one sector and another. And the role that we're primarily looking at uh, automating in at least the first phase of the project is the tactical role. So this is more the uh, designing the uh, route the aircraft is going to take through the sector. Hmm. Um, and so we've been initially focusing on sort of three types of agents. Uh, so there's an optimization-based agent, there's a reinforcement learning-based agent, and then there's a rules-based agent. Mm. And the one I'm working on in particular is an optimization agent. I see. So these are all different approaches to tackling the same prob problem, which is, um, you know, choosing the best route. Yes. It sounds like. Yeah. So it's building, it's building a plan uh, for the uh, AI air traffic agent mm. uh, to command the pilot uh, how to fly through the sky. How to fit it right. Yeah. And, and so these sorts of And would of that be when you say say the, the virtual pilot or the real pilot eventually? Well this this is presumably all of all of the planes that the air traffic controller is interacting with, or is it Yes, is it, yeah. yeah. So the idea is to have complete complete control of the sector. Yeah. Just to stress it's definitely in the simulator at the moment, and that's probably where it's gonna stay. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> just to take the pressure off me slightly. <laughs> um but yeah, so the the, the sort actually of, I think another bit of terminology there which I've heard come up from talking to um, people on this project for sector. Sector has a specific meaning, right? In yes, yes. So in the in the UK, there's the UK FIR, which is the flight... Information region. The flight information region. <laughs> I say an acronym and don't know what it means, <laughs> uh, which basically is the UK uh, region of space mm. that, that Nats controls. And um, this right. is uh, discretized into small, uh, basically groups of polygons. And these polygons come together to form a sector. Mm -hmm. There are multiple sectors on different geographic parts of the UK that all connect together. And so an air traffic controller uh, sits on a specific radio frequency and only interacts with the pilots that fly through that sector. So that's right. really uh, what, what the sectors are. So a sector, I tend to say they're about 100, 100 miles across. I mm -hmm. mean, it varies heavily. It's really depending on the workload. So you get ones that are much bigger over the North Sea, right. get quite small ones yeah. in London. but. 
yeah. think so of it as a polygon of hundred yeah. diameter of about hundred miles. That's roughly right. Sort of and thing. so this simulator is this effectively simulating uh, one sector over you know X unit of time. So what we have in the in the sort of a uh, main branch that we have at the moment is it has two sectors in it. Mm. We wanted to have two sectors in early because it allows us to start looking early on on human and agent interfacing and on agent agent interfacing. So we've put in two sectors. One's called London Middle Sector, which is about twenty to thirty thousand feet over London, and then London Upper Sector, which is thirty thousand to sixty thousand feet over London. I see. Yeah. So we've got those two, and then we've we've looked at that with the agent controlling one of those or both of those. We've also run it with a human controlling one and the agent controlling the other one. Hmm. So two sectors is what we have at the moment. We'd like to start looking at more multi-sector problems, so that you have you know. It's an interesting question if you've got 10 agents on 10 sectors or one agent controlling 10 sectors. You know, there are more things you can look at there. So we've got um, development branches at the moment that have 31 sectors in them. And we're hoping to get that merged into May by Maine by the summer. So right. the idea is, you know, we start off you start off small, try and do a reasonably good job, mm. and then expand out from there. And in terms of doing a reasonably good job, how are the agents doing? And is there big differences in um the performance of different methods, um, how they doing compared to humans so far? <laughs> um, that's a very good question. So the metric that we've been focusing on first, and I guess this is because it's both the easiest to measure and the one everyone really cares about the most is safety. So in terms of actually controlling mm. air traffic safely. So to put it simply, it's basically not pointing at aircraft each other at aircraft at right. each other as well as not letting them get too close in the sky. So they've got to stay more than five miles apart laterally and a thousand feet apart vertically. So there's basically these hockey pucks through the sky we have to navigate yeah, and we're not allowed yeah. to point them near each other. So the agent on the whole is doing a very good job uh, in terms of safety. We're clusters mostly, uh, mostly safe. Which is, <laughs> which, which is which, not actually good enough, but we are at this stage in the project, we're quite pleased with mostly. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> yeah, mostly is, well, while it sounds disappointing, is actually quite, a, I'm quite proud of that rating of safety because it's mm. taken a lot of work to get to this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, yeah, mostly is, yeah, we're very, <laughs> we're very happy with it. So, yeah. so I mean, it, well, that might be a good chance to mention the summer trials we did so yeah, yeah. summer 2023 we we well at the start of 2023 we'd finally got to a stage where we'd sorted out the data we'd built data pipelines we had a big data set we'd built a digital working digital twin we'd built a, a hmi to visualize what was happening in the digital twin we'd got the first sort of working agents that weren't an embarrassment right um, and so we had a number of weeks of trials over the summer where we then had these two sectors, the London middle and London upper sectors, mm. controlled by different combinations of humans and agents. And we assessed the agents using the same marking schemes that we assess trainee air traffic controllers in the college. Mm. In Nats, Nats has a training college where we train people from the UK as well as sort of abroad. Um, we use the same marking scheme as that. And so... You know, our main focus is safety. If you can't do it safely, there's no point yeah. doing anything else. On the safety, we were very pleased. It would have failed, yeah. <laughs> but it actually didn't fail by t that much. Yeah. Um, we did less well on other things that we hadn't concentrated on yet. You know, it was this summer was really sort of a proof of concept, full stack, you mm -hmm. know, offers full stack, 
look, make sure everything's working as we expected. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it did very well. And George has done a lot of work already in improving on, in improving on the, in any weaknesses that were highlighted. Yeah. Then. Yeah. So, so one interesting aspect of this I can imagine is that, well, firstly, I think it totally makes sense to focus on safety first, and then <laughs> I guess I guess optimization would be would be ne- come next. Um, but in terms of um, you know, you mentioned that there are different sort of machine learning approaches and maybe a rule based approach. So with the rules based approach, you know, you can imagine having full understanding of how such system makes the decisions that it's going to make. And when it's a human air traffic controller, you can, you can just ask them why did they do certain things. So as you get to the point where the machine learning agents start to perform pretty well. How how or how would you go about you know deciding whether the decisions that they're making are going to stay good? You know how can you explain you know how they're working if at all? Yeah, so this is a a thread of work that we're current currently engaging with, which is I think very difficult because no one else has really done it properly mm. yet. Um, but sort of the, the three the three main agents have different I like to think of different levels of ability to explain what they're doing. Mm. So like you highlight the rules based agent is. Uh, built by just composing human written rules, which basically looks like a lo- load of if statements. Is it safe yeah. to climb to this level? I need to exit at this level. Yes, then climb to it. So, so that can be interrogated and say, why did you climb to this level? Oh, yeah. the rule told me to. That makes sense. Yeah. Whereas an optimization based agent is sort of in the middle uh, on the scale of explainability, where we have a set of objectives. We sort of measure in some way a desirable characteristic of the trajectory the aircraft flies. So we can say this is a good solution, but that isn't really sufficient to explain why this particular solution was, chain, was chosen. So what we did in the summer was uh, we plotted the plans of the aircraft onto the HMI, onto the uh, visualization. And the first thing we got was why, first question we asked was, why, the first question we were asked is why this plan? Mm. So we thought we were being very clever. We we're showing them what, what the agent's going to do. And the first mm. thing they said mm. is why? which in hindsight was very obvious. <laughs> and this is actually quite a hard question. It's what, what the computer says, you know. Yes, yeah. yeah. So uh, other, explain, other research projects in the past in other fields have dealt with explainability by just mm. saying this is the most likely prediction and people learn to trust it. But that's yeah. not enough for safety, safety critical. We have to be able to explain why the system made this decision. Mm. And that's, quite, that's a really hard question. So in optimization, we're currently investigating ways and in fact developing ways to sort of move towards being able to explain the decisions. Hmm. So there's some ideas involving counterfactual explanations. So showing solutions which are slightly worse than the one we've gone for and saying, look, we didn't choose this one or this one. The one we've shown you is the best we can do. Hmm. And I think that all we hope will, will give us some kind of explainability. Yeah. And then the third kind of agent we have, the reinforcement learning based agent, is largely a black box, unfortunately. Right. And this is obviously not good for explainability. There is some initial research out there for explainability of reinforcement learning agents, which uh, corresponds to what people have been doing in computer vision. So in computer vision, they've uh, you, people may have seen some pictures where essentially they highlight the pixels that led to the decision that the computer vision system made. So if you're trying to classify a dog or a cat, it may highlight different features of the dog or the cat to show sure. leads to sure. that decision. So this is just been developed last year for reinforcement learning agents, which would at least give us a slight idea of saying uh, our aircraft made this decision because this part of the input space, so it looked at another aircraft it might come into contact with, uh, 
it just would highlight that aircraft. Mm. So there is a slight level of explainability right, possible, right. but this is currently the state of the art. So there's a long way to go. So, yeah, it sounds like RL. The, the methods of like explainability in, in machine learning methods are is pretty new it's in in its infancy. Yes, so I'm, yes. I'm imagining there probably aren't any other precedents for you to look at in terms of like, if you were to take try to take an example from another safety critical industry where ML approaches had been applied, I'm guessing it just doesn't exist at the moment. Or if it does, it's not talked about that much. There are, <laughs> like I said, some touch where they maybe. show <laughs> it's mostly there's not that much explainability. They build the trust of the system. Yeah. So users yeah. learn to rely and believe mm. in the system rather than Until it the goes system. Wrong. Yes. Rather than the system actually being provably good or yeah. demonstrating why it came to a decision, which is sort of a, a big difference in explainability, which I feel like people haven't tackled that much. Uh, in, in the literature or to the extent that we need to be able to demonstrate to people at the very least. Mm. Um, I, I want to bring Nick in just because he hasn't had much of a chance to talk yet. Sorry. What have you been working on on this project and the, uh, what's been your focus as the Alan yeah, Turing sure. Institute person in the room? So I work more on the digital twin size uh-huh. and uh, I suppose my connection with what, what George works on is that all of these agents that he's discussed involve some aspects of looking ahead in time. So they make a plan, they want to roll out the plan and check, is it going to be safe? Will aircrafts conflict with each other? Mm. Where will aircraft be in 10, 15 minutes? Uh, so in the field, this is called trajectory prediction or TP for short. And so my research has mostly been looking at uh, existing TP methods, which are based on um, essentially physical principles, like equations of motion that come from flight mechanics and assumes pilot behavior. And trying to take these models, which are deterministic. So uh, for a given set of inputs, you'll always get the same output. Uh, So take these models that already exist that are robust, but unfortunately aren't capable of fully describing the kinds of variations that we see in the data that we've got. So trying to find a way to kind of marry the two together, the data and the existing models, uh, to get something that's more accurate that will help George's agent and the other agents because their predictions will be more accurate, um, but also has usefulness uh, when we come to simulations to try and test the agent. Uh, Because I have this background in probabilistic methods, we're looking at trying to generate um, essentially synthetic profiles of aircraft for the the simulator that look plausible mm. that could have conceivably been flown by right. aircrafts in real life. And it is is the reason for that you mentioned the the data earlier. Is it because getting hold of these real real world data is just a challenge, or there's not enough of it? Or I'm not sure if I'm quite answering your question, but I'll answer a question. Go on. Um, so you know what we built initially was yeah. a digital twin. What we need is a probabilistic digital twin. So. So Nick's work's been building the engine, sort of the, the hard bit of building a probabilistic digital twin. Mm. And the reason we need that, Nick's sort of already said it, but um, an AI agent, especially like an, an RL agent, reinforcement learning agent, if the aircraft does the same thing every single time, mm-hmm. then it will learn its actions based on the fact that the aircraft always does the same thing. Uh, but if you yeah. tell an aircraft to climb from 20,000 to 30,000 feet, 
and you chose 100 aircraft, the same aircraft, all of them Ryanair, whatever, you'll get a distribution because they depend on the weather on the day, the amount of fuel, see, the pilot, the procedures on the day. So you actually don't know how quickly it'll climb and or, or descend or various other behaviours. You don't know exactly what it's going to do. So we can't have a digital twin that's, that's deterministic and does the same every time, mm. which is... The, the barter model's base of data aircraft, I think, model is the industry standard. It's a physics-based one. If you if we use that, and that is what we used initially, it's the same every time. It means yeah. that the agents, okay. they do well, but it won't generalise. What we yeah. need to do is be able to say, right, we'll run the scenario, and every time it'll have different behaviour. variations, yeah. But we want that to be from a distribution of real is data. Is it is it too too much to simulate weather conditions and hope and or is that no? We're also adding in the weather conditions. Okay. So yeah. yeah. So we have a we have access to Met Office data mm. um, for the the years of radar data that we have for the for the project. So we can put the two together and use the Met Office data to kind of add a layer of fidelity to the digital twin. Mm. As yeah, uh, research is ongoing. <laughs> <laughs> We've got. I mean, what we're trying to do is the whole thing is kind of a stack. You've got the data. Yeah. You've got the digital twin. You've got the agents. If you wait until you've done the digital twin perfectly, the agents can't start working till year five. So you know, first of all, we built a non-probabilistic digital twin. Whilst Nick is working on the theoretical underpinnings to bring in the probabilistic aspects, mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. we've added in simplified probabilistic aspects. It's quite easy to make things probabilistic with a Poisson distribution things, but it's not very realistic. Sure. So we've kind of yeah. stepped up yeah. the the level of complexity and the level of realism. Sort of every six months, we increase the complexity. I see. I see. Um, I can't remember if that's answering the question. But, yeah. No, no, definitely. Um, well, I guess. As that level of complexity has increased, do, do the sort of broad categories of methods that you've been looking at, have they stayed the same or have, have some gotten out of the window just as you've increased the realism? Uh, I think they've stayed the same, really. Yeah. Um, we, 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 we knew where we wanted to be in year five, roughly. Mm. So when we started working on a, a marginally more simpler problem, we still took that, took that into account. So we didn't try anything we knew would absolutely fail uh, by year two. Uh, although... Yeah saying that the rules-based system uh there will be sort of an upper limit of, of its uh performance yeah uh so well like i said it's very explainable but it's really hard to write sufficiently complex rules yeah. to yeah. describe the, the behavior that the atcos the air traffic controllers um ask pilots to do so there will probably be an upper ceiling but at the same time it's going to be a very nice baseline because this is really what people have done in the past it's write really nice rules-based systems right right yeah and it's back to if we weren't rolling this thing out as a you know a full replacement for air traffic controllers which again is not what we're aiming to do in any <laughs> short term um a rules-based system if there were limited subsets of things that could be automated a rules-based system we can probably you know get in in the five to ten year period hmm. so it's worth looking at the limits of a rules-based system mm, sure, to yeah. understand whether yeah. or not it's always going to be useless or whether it's actually can do quite a lot of mm. what we need to yeah yeah, it makes sense that you would only go for the the potentially very useful machine learning options where you lose some of that explainability only past the point where the rules based just can't get any better. Yeah, and really, you know, kind of theoretically, I'm, I'm, I'm 
talking about something here where it should be George talking and I might say things that are wrong, but, you know, theoretically, the reinforcement learning agents should be able to cope with more complicated situations than the optimization-based mm-hmm. agent. And so, you know, that's why we're looking at that. It's more black box, but it theoretically should should cope with very complicated situations. Mm-hmm. So if people are doing things like um, AI agents for StarCraft, you know, yeah. multiplayer games, as far as I'm aware, no one does them with rules-based agents and use reinforcement learning agents yeah. for exactly that reason. It's not clear whether or not air traffic control gets to that level of complications or not. So we, you know, we don't know if guess, the optimization yeah, base sure, yeah. will hit yeah. the ceiling. Most of our guess is, is that it won't because... In StarCraft, you've got somebody actively working against you and trying to get around your tactics, which That's mostly doesn't happen in... Uh... Because, yeah, as I understand it, sort of the the, the deep mind AIs that, that have beaten like Go and other, and other games like StarCraft, which are based on reinforcement learning, like it's always that, right? It's just an adversarial game, whereas what you're doing here is... Well, I hesitate to say easier, but like as you said, it's not someone's trying to make you lose. So, so maybe it is. <laughs> it is easier. <laughs> well, we uh, well again, I'm not the expert here, but uh, my understanding is that we looked at a lot of different the sort of RL. Well, a lot of things that RL is applied to, mm. and this. It's probably more difficult than most of them, hmm. but not StarCraft. <laughs> you know, okay. not, not those things. There because, are already examples which are more complicated. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it depends how you, how you define complicated, but yeah. in things like chess, you know, it's discrete, it's quite well defined. Mm. In air traffic control, the large, one of the main challenges on the project has been the fact that the domain is very complicated. You know, it's something that has been built up over 80 years in a sort of piecemeal engineering fashion, a new right. system, a new rule here. The rules are different all over the place. There's lots of sort of seemingly arbitrary rules. So there's a lot of difficulty. It's not a nice, clean mathematical problem, which you kind of get with, you know, chess or with Go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very, very complex, but very real world, I think. Yeah. But George might want to correct or expand on that comment. Oh, no, no, I think I agree with everything you said. And I think one of the real challenges in this project has been knowing what good air traffic control is. So in StarCraft, you get a score. There's mm-hmm. some feedback feedback you're getting all the time. So yeah. where, where reinforcement learning excels is systems where you continually make score, moves, yeah. moves and you get a reward back. All the rewards are delayed, but you can fudge it somehow to approximate your own reward. That's how sort of the, the later methods work. But the problem in air traffic control is we know what safe is. We can measure safety, but there are other other forms of uh, more hand wavy metrics, which which are used, or such as having being orderly in the way you present your traffic mm-hmm. to the next sector, that's not really measurable. It's see, more see. and and the statement we've got from lots of different air traffic controllers when when talking to them is uh, if you get two air traffic controllers in a room and ask them for an answer, you'll get three answers back because right, there's yeah. no best way to solve a situation there are good ways all of which are perfectly fine and therefore being able to measure best and even quantify best is really challenging which is where the summer sim that we did was really helpful because mm. we spent a year talking to air traffic controllers talking to other people at nats trying to learn how air traffic control works and how we can turn uh, their more written down uh, rules into something that we can quantify and measure and so in in the summer we had in my case, a set of objectives that I developed based on talking to people. 
and the, that induced some behavior in the agent in the way it controls mm, mm. Uh, traffic. And talking talking to the air traffic controllers, they go, that's good, that's not good. And from that, we can learn yeah. that actually we've got a feedback system yeah. which sort of lets us reinterpret what we believe uh, they are doing because it's really a sort of a joint collaboration or of an iterative feedback system. It's a little bit more them. sort of ad hoc and based on their professional experience than, yes, a, lots of than a metric that you can just count. Yes, I think the problem would be quite a bit easier if someone could just write down a mathematical formulation <laughs> yeah. of this is the objective for good air traffic control. Yeah, I think then we'd find it would become something more like StarCraft where we've got a feedback and RL well, would be... Uh, in in my head as well, my, my thoughts were once you pass the safety threshold and you were satisfied by that metric, that the next metric would be, well, have as many planes in the sky as possible to... But I guess maybe maybe where you come into problems there is if if these agents can be working alongside human air traffic controllers and it's going to suggest strategies that they find confusing or counterintuitive based on their professional experience, maybe that's not good. Yep. So there's, there's an aspect of air traffic control which is essentially be polite to your neighbours. Yeah. So if you've got a human <laughs> working, overwhelm them. yeah, if you've got a human working in the next sector you, to you, you expect them to to be polite to you in the way they present air traffic mm -hmm. to you in the same way you've got to be polite to them in the way you try and not make their lives difficult in the way you present traffic to them. Technically, you could do it however you want, but that's <laughs> obviously very yeah, frowned upon yeah. and will get you uh, shot off uh, in the break room. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so that's really some of these more less tangible aspects of control that we have to try and implement. I wonder if any of you could tell us a bit, we've got um, at the Turing coming up, AI UK, which is this year, 2024, 19th to 20th of March. You talked a bit about some of the successes you've had so far with the with um, the digital twin simulator and, and the agents themselves. What can people expect from demo you may have at AI UK or any other upcoming demos? Um, so alongside the digital twin development, we've also developed a gamified version of air traffic control to uh -huh. try and demonstrate to the public uh, what what are some or to let people experience a very stressful situation in a gamified version of air traffic control right, right. so a, a sector that's just shaped like an x and they have to try and fl fly aircraft through it which um although it looks quite simple could be surprisingly stressful mm. and so there's a scoreboard and so people can try and play play as an air traffic controller for the day and try and appreciate what the guys and girls do at Nats in terms of the brilliant uh, control work they do. So we should have, I think, one or two positions that people could come and play the game at, as well as a few videos of agents uh, con controlling traffic in our, mm. our simulator. So I think it should be. Oh, we've, we we ran the same sort of thing at uh, the British Science Festival last year, and the public really, really enjoyed getting involved and asking us lots of questions about air traffic control. Brilliant, brilliant. But I'd point out that no, none of the public managed to beat... Uh, George's agent on the nice. game. Nice. That's so, yeah. so we we've got better than the general untrained public at yeah, traffic okay, control. Yeah. But we haven't yet got better than yeah, yeah, traffic controllers. controllers. Well yeah. that's yeah, that's um that's that's something at least, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, how is it is it an intuitive game to play or is it do you really feel like um yeah, I suppose the air traffic controllers themselves see it as very similar to what they see in a real system. We, we've tried to simplify it as much as possible so that it captures sure. the essence of air traffic control. So you have a sector, that's what they have. Mm. And really what air traffic controllers do is they get an aircraft into their sector and they need to fly it back out to the sector at a certain location or rough location and a certain altitude. And so we've simplified 
simplified it somewhat and we've made it so you can do keyboard input left right up down right but you can that is the game really so we've done it as simple as we can and we've had some visualizations that you don't get in real life where the aircraft you can you click on an aircraft and you can see where it's heading to and things like that so it's uh it is it, it does it pretty much air traffic control with a degree of oversimplification uh, but it captures the essence and you know in the British Science Festival and in other situations people have picked it up very easily mm. and it is quite nice because it shows the idea of the digital twin is that it's modular and so you know in a digital twin we can have it fed by the real world data you can have it fed by real weather data but you can also then replace certain components so if you want to say well what would happen if it was twice as windy you can double the wind or you know if you want to change the sector shape you can change the sector shape so essentially what we've done there is taken the engine that we've got change the sector oversimplify some of the rules um but yeah it's Nice. The feedback we've got has been very positive on it. And um, can any of you beat the agents? Or <laughs> not me? Not no at chance. all. Not no. at all. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you're. Yeah. So I imagine. Well, are you better than the general public? Maybe you haven't spent as much time playing game. It's surprisingly uh, varied <laughs> scores from the public. Yeah. Some people are quite like me and can't keep track of ten aircraft at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Remember to turn them. Uh, and then there was a couple of people there who, Did without well. any prior experience, were incredible <laughs> they, they they yeah obviously have a predisposition to being able to track lots of objects at the same time right i tried yeah. to get one of them to apply to become an air traffic controller <laughs> i'm not sure if they took me up on that but i, I hope they did well hopefully they weren't uh, concerned that their jobs are going to be automated or anything no no, no. <laughs> no that's a long way no, off if as, as as we've said yeah it's going to be an assistant so yeah <laughs> Um, well, thinking of that, um, let's talk a bit now about well, what the next steps of the project might be. So, um, yeah, what are, what what are the next steps going forward? What's the time horizon of of what you've got left with this collaboration and and so on? So, I go? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we've got two and a half to three years left. Right. So we're kind of nearing the halfway point. So far, we've looked at two sectors. That's allowed us to uh, look yes. at the human increasing and the sectors. Yeah. Yeah, so increasing the sectors. We want to really look at um, a number of things. We want to, first of all, improve the performance of the agent. Mm. So the agent mostly was safe, which which would fail the course and get thrown off the course. So it's good, but you know, not good enough. We'd like to get that always safe. Always safe means that it would pass that element of the air traffic control training course. But then in terms of other things we'd like to expand what we're looking at. So right now we're looking really at concentrating on one sector and the performance in one sector. We want to continue, that's sort of the main core of the project. We want to continue looking at that, improve the fidelity of the sector, improve the performance of the of the agents. But we also want to start looking at uh, multiple sectors. So you can say, well, what happens if we put 12 agents in 12 sectors or... Yeah. One agent in all 12 sectors or, you know, six agents, six humans. Um, in terms of the simulation, um, what about things like um, incorporating unexpected emergencies, so, extreme yeah. weather and this kind of stuff? So so we want to do, whenever you talk to an air traffic controller, they'll say, oh, yeah, you could probably or might be able to do it, but you'll never cope with extreme situations, mm -hmm. storms in particular. So when there's a storm front, um, and essentially hailstones in the clouds, 
aircraft can't fly through it. And so they will just phone up and say, I'm turning right and the air traffic control have right. to deal with it. And it's a big mess because the skies are already pretty much as full as they can be. Suddenly everyone's flying off in whichever direction I, they... I heard a news story and I, I don't know what the reason for this was about some plane that was flying from Manchester to Dublin and got diverted to Paris. So, yeah. so <laughs> if it, there'd if be a big weather front. Yeah. Uh, essentially that the aircraft couldn't get round. Yeah. And there were that or there was no capacity for it to land at any intermediary mm. airport, that it could get around the weather. So I, I'm, I'm guessing if you're going to try and simulate something of that level, that's that's many sectors across, presumably. Yeah, I mean, we, well, we've we now, we should have by the summer all the sectors in it. Mm. We still might be looking first off at, at the performance in a single sector. You know, we haven't defined exactly what we want to look mm. at first. Um, but the digital twin you know, has all of the UK in it all the sectors so you can put a big storm front across the whole thing and then see how it starts working um, with that we, we also want to look you know there's things like decompression so if an aircraft has a decompression uh there was the one fairly recently in uh i think it was in america um where the aircraft suddenly has to descend very quickly and you have to deal with that there's other ones where you've got um you know broken radios or non-responding aircraft so there's a lot of different unexpected situations so we just like to explore the performance of the agent they might be easy to handle they might be very very difficult we want to you know it's it's an exploratory thing but by you know over the next year we'd like to explore these unexpected events storm fronts Mm. multiple sectors and the final thing is george mentioned before we've got uh air traffic controllers normally work in pairs where you've got one who's actually the tactical controller issuing the instructions to the aircraft and you've got the coordinator who is looking at the best way of passing aircraft from one sector to the next. So by having multiple sectors, it allows us to start looking at that functionality in terms of AI mm-hmm. agents as well. So in terms of human people, that's there's like a two, two different roles there. So, so you're going to simulate that with two different agents? I'd, I'll pass you over to George. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't like to speculate what the best way to do it is yet. Um, it might okay. be that we have. But is, is that that's how he, it's done at the moment with the real uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it yeah. could be that we have one Uber planner who plans the right. entire UK in one go. Well, I was thinking that. Avoiding but, yeah. any competition between sectors. So I, I, we've got a, it, it's quite interesting if you've got one agent and one sector who wants the best for itself and you've mm. got one agent for another sector who wants the best for itself. Right then there's going to be have to some sort of compromise, which is how it works in real life. And mod- modelling and optimising that, I think, is quite tricky, but also yeah. quite interesting problem. And it, we don't just want them to be individual entities. They'll need to be able to interact, like in the real world, mm. with their tactical person. So do you, do you envisage, I mean, maybe this is looking a bit far into the future now, perhaps beyond the end of this project, but if in the real world, if... if um, such an agent ever was deployed as like an assistant for air traffic controllers, do you think it's more likely that there would be like sort of one master agent that all of the human air traffic controllers are in collaboration with, or would they all be having separate ones for their sector, which is a bit more sort of like the simulation you're doing at the moment, but, or is it just too difficult to know that? Um, I, I think it- I think it's too early to tell, really. Yeah. I mean, I think the real answer is whatever works best. I mean, yeah. It's kind of a compound. Right, right. But uh, yeah, I think we'll know in about two years or we'll have some idea okay. about what's possible, Yeah, I think. And if any of them are possible, then we'll try and explore those as much as we can. Because I think, I mean, I think when we've discussed, we've 
sort of, we all sort of feel like one agent to do everything is likely to perform better. But on the other hand, if you're doing the optimization agent, that's optimizing 700 aircraft simultaneously. As it's currently written, doesn't scale up to 700 aircraft. So, you know, given the technology we've currently built, the only possible real way to do it would be one per sector or maybe one mm. per two sectors. But, you know, we're very early days. George hasn't started looking at multiple sectors. No one else. We haven't really started looking at multiple sectors yet. Yeah, yeah. So okay. it's too early to see where we can go on it. Cool. Well, um, yeah, before we wrap up, maybe I'll go to each one of you and say, um, what what are your hopes and dreams for this field? You know, where do you, where do you see like in decades to come? Uh, is this going to be something that you hope everyone's going to be using in the air traffic control space? What's like if everything works perfectly? How does that look? I'll go. I'll go to Nick first. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> um, yeah, boy, it's a good question. I think possibly it's the sort of job that if traffic levels continue to increase at the rate that they're mm-hmm. projected to, it will come to a point where airspaces are just so congested that we can't conceive that humans were ever allowed to, right. to handle this. But that's looking, like we said, way off in the future. I'm a bit stumped really. What are our hopes and dreams? <laughs> what are our hopes and dreams? Oh, I guess from, from my point of view, um, first of all, just in terms of congestion, 20, 30 years ago, air tra- I'm, I'll make up some numbers that will be incorrect if anyone checks, but uh, you know, 30 years ago, air traffic controls were controlling you know, six aircraft each. Yeah. As more and more tools have become available, you know, the radar now automatically labels right. aircraft. They can handle more. You can handle more. So now you can handle roughly 20 is the number I tend to say. Um, I suspect that the tooling will allow us to handle more per human. Mm. Um, in terms of what I hope we do here, uh, I think that uh, a sort of digital air traffic controller can work as a universal engine in the back to give you advisory tools. And so that would be my hope in the medium term is that some kind of, uh, you know, spin-off or continuation from this mm-hmm. project will give us the the tools that we need to build those things on. It also helps to push validation, regulation. We haven't mentioned it too much, but those things don't exist. So we need sure. to start yeah, yeah. pushing those things forward. Right. Um, it's, it's hard. There's a lot of chat about how to regulate, how to validate these things really hard to do it before anything exists so you know that is build something and say how do we regulate that sure um so i'd like to see the regulation further forward in 10 years time and some offshoots of this with tools sort of being powered by it Mm. i'd like and i guess that that feeds in a bit with why you're thinking about explainability from the start almost yeah yeah so uh yeah i mean the explainability is largely so that we can make sure that the we want, we need to understand safe. it, yeah. we need to trust it, we need <laughs> to make sure yeah, it's yeah. actually safe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, George, any other thoughts? Uh, I think my colleagues have pretty much said everything <laughs> that I was thinking of. I was hoping to go first. Well, uh, before, yeah, go on. I was going to say, I think sort of there's lots of things that they've both covered in the future that we'd like to think about. And I think the other thing is just as sort of a legacy of the project mm. in terms of we're sort of the first people to really try and tackle this on this scale. Mm. And yeah, like there's big regulatory impact, if I can say the word, as well as uh, just being the first people to really attempt this. And it's really because 
no one else has had the data. And we sort of skirted around the fact that there's been data, but Nats have an extens extensive amount of data that right, they right. are giving us access to, which will allow us to do this. And that's really why we're at the forefront of what's possible at the moment. Hmm. I mean, part of the legacy of the project might be provoking the questions that future regulators will sure. have to ask people yeah. when they try and sell these automated systems. That's interesting because, yeah, if some someone from the private sector just comes along and says, yeah, we've got a air traffic control assistant, it works, trust us. Yes. At least they'll know from, there's going to be outputs from your research about how you can perhaps validate whether that's true or not. Oh, yeah, I think that's one of the benefits the project gives from an academic point of view to Nats, mm. which is Nats will regularly have big companies come up to them and go, we've got this latest shiny AI tool, yeah, we can yeah. solve all your problems. And for Nats, they might not know whether it's possible or whether these people are, can actually do it. Both both of these are they're separate and difficult issues. Whereas when they're working in an academic collaboration, we're sort of at the forefront of what people are trying to do at the moment. Mm. So Nats are going to be armed with, look, we've spoken to the experts. This is what they've been able to do. This is what's possible. This is what we think we could do in the future. It very much allows them to sanity check everything, they, all their contractors that come to them with amazing products, supposedly amazing products. <laughs> Sorry, contractors. <laughs> Just to reiterate what George has said, I should have really said that as one of the motivations for Nats at the start right. is that I think it's probably a problem as such in, in all industries. And I know it is in Nats. We have a lot of startups that come and tell us they can do things. We have a lot of consultancies that tell us they can do things. I personally mostly don't trust them. <laughs> and so if we are at the forefront, yeah, we understand yeah. what's possible. We can build, people come saying they've got tools that can do things. Well, if we've got a digital twin that we can drop the tool into and say, well, let's see how it gets on. Right. Yeah, it yeah. gives us, yeah. it gives us as well as sort of more regulatory things, it gives us actual concrete tools and things that we can use to assess what, what people bring to us. I think the key thing there as well is if, the other people generating these methods that might be snake oil, if they haven't had access to the data that you have, like how how could they be any good? Yeah. Yeah. That's how, my starting position. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how do they know what they've got as any yes. good? Um, well, that's a really interesting point. Um, yeah, is there, is there anything else that any of you want to mention before we wrap up about the project? Any, any other thoughts? Where can people find out more about it online? We are in the process of building a website, <laughs> <laughs> is, is, uh, is the true answer. The best place is probably the Turing website for now. The, there's the Turing and the Nats website have have a bit of information on it. On the Project Bluebird. On Project Bluebird, yeah. yeah. So Project Bluebird. Um, that's all, wouldn't quite like to say out of date, but it's written a while back. We're trying to, we're going through the process of updating everything now. We're making an actual Bluebird website. Nice. So that, that will be the right place. But at the moment, it's the Turing website and the Nats website. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, thanks, uh, Nick, George and Mark for coming on the podcast. All right. Thank you very much thank for you. inviting us. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. The show is hosted by me, B. Costa Gomez, Ed Calstry, Joe Dungate, Christina Last and Anika York. Music for this podcast is produced by Jam and Sun. You can listen and follow via the link in the description or by searching Jam and Sun on Instagram. 